Good morning. This is James with 77 Financial Group. You're listening to 15 Minutes of Finance, where in the next 15 minutes, I bet I can get you excited about investing. Let's do it. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, everybody, to 15 Minutes of Finance. We have an interesting day today. A lot's going on in the world, as per usual. Let's just jump right in. We have our term of the day, which is going to be the GBP slash USD. Okay, so that term is just to give you a James-ism, I guess, is just the, uh, it tells the reader how many dollars it takes to transfer uh, to become one British pound, right? And so it's basically how many dollars does it cost to buy one British pound? And the reason we're, I'll I'll go over the abbreviation here or the uh, explanation here in a second, but the reason that's important is because right now people are roaring over the fact that the U.S. dollar is quote-unquote strong, right? It's on the way up. Even though we as people don't feel that way, the the economy doesn't feel that way, the market certainly doesn't feel that way, um, it's kind of like a hot topic right now. And for those in political power, it is a uh, talking point that is positive, and so it's sort of getting some traction in the news. But okay, let me read this for you. The GBP USD, British pound to US dollar, is an abbreviation for the British pound and US dollar currency pair or cross. The currency pair tells the reader how many US dollars are needed to purchase one British pound. GBP slash USD is the third largest trading pair, accounting for about 11% of the total Forex market. Trading the GBP USD currency pair is also known as trading the cable. Okay, so that last part, not really all that important. You don't need to know about cable. You don't need to know about the Forex market. Um, But one thing I do want you to know is that globally, the number one most traded thing or invested in thing is it's not stocks, it's not gold, it's not real estate, it's currencies. Okay, so if you guys are familiar with someone named George Soros, and I'm not going to get too big into the conspiracy theories uh, behind him, but he is one of the wealthiest people ever to live. And he is wealthy or notorious for, I'm not sure if this is why, but he's notorious for currency investing. And he does it on such a large scale that he can basically bankrupt countries. So, and again, don't quote me on this, but there was a story, I think in the 90s, it might have been early 2000s, where he invested it might have been Honduras. It also might have been the Republic of Congo. I can't remember. But he invested in an African country. Um, or Sorry, not invested in, but he bet against their currency. So he shorted their currency. And it almost completely bankrupted the whole country. An already impoverished country, an already third world, you know, very... Uh, <laughs> dangerous place to live like you don't want to if you're born there in the world you got a really bad hand uh he are he basically shorted them and made it even worse and he made a bunch of money on that uh so currencies are the number one traded and number one invested in investment vehicle i guess you could say so that's a fun fact that you guys probably didn't know but again also just disclaimer i'm not saying anything about george soros uh just that's the facts. That's what he did. And that's what was the consequence of it, uh, betting against a country. Uh, okay. Let's jump into the news today. U.S. stock futures are rebounding after the Dow fell into a bear market territory and the S&P 500 uh, slid to its lowest close this year amid concerns the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes could push the U.S. economy into a recession. Guys, we're already in a recession. Okay. People don't, people want to say that we're not. Okay. We are. We're there. Okay. The market is in a recession. Now, the economy it's a little bit 
worded differently and we've spoken about that in past podcasts, but we are here. Okay. So stop. If anybody tells you different, just assume that they're, they're not doing their due diligence and studying. Okay. Studying the world. Okay. Yesterday, the Dow fell 1.1%. The S&P 500 lost 1% and the NASDAQ dropped 0.6%. U.S. Treasury yields hit fresh highs rising along with the Eurozone and British government debt yields as worries rose about aggressive tightening by central banks. The two-year Treasury note now yields 4.25%, while the 10-year Treasury yields 3.82%. The British pound reached an all-time low of $1.03 against the dollar, near parity. Oh, I guess that's not $1.03 against the dollar. It's one British pound point... It's 1.03 British pound? I don't know how they do cents out there. That's interesting. Okay, so let me just read it again. So the British pound reached an all-time low of 1.03 against the dollar, near parity as investors worried Britain's new economic plan could hurt the country's finances. While the Bank of England said it was monitoring financial markets very closely, following sharp moves in currency, bond, and stock markets. The previous record low for the pound had occurred in early 1985, prior to that year's Plaza Accord. Oil prices fell, pressured by a strengthened dollar, Light Swede crude oil is now just below $78 per barrel. Cryptocurrency prices are rising with the price of Bitcoin up over 5%, above $20,200. The price of Ether, Ethereum is up over 4% near $1,380. Okay, just to clarify, as of right now, I think it's Bitcoin's below 20000 So uh, this is obviously this news is from early, early, early this morning before the market. So. Uh, later this morning, the Census Bureau will report on new home sales data for August. Sales of new single-family homes are expected to decline by roughly 20000 from July to a rate of 492000 as rising interest rates and declining affordability continue to weigh on prospective buyers. S&P CoreLogic will also release its Case-Shiller National Home Price Index for July, which is projected to show prices up 17% from a year ago compared to an 18% increase in June. While home prices are still rising, Fed Chair Jerome Powell has said that the housing market likely needs to go through a correction as property prices are going up to an unsustainable fast level. Separately, the conference board will release its Consumer Confidence Index for September. <coughs> Excuse me. Expectations are for a reading of 104, slightly higher than August. And the index has rebounded from this year's lows in July as gas prices ease, but is well off to a recent uh, peak from last summer. Okay, so... Really quickly, let me just say this real quick. Okay, 30-year mortgage rates are at 6.29%. 6.29%. I'm at the stage of my life where like, I'm thinking about buying a house, and now I'm like, no way. No way am I doing it. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to spend whatever, a quarter of a million, half a million dollars on a loan, and then I'm going to have to pay 6.3%. Over 30 years, like that is insane. That is, I, I don't know. I don't know how people are buying houses right now, <laughs> unless they're using their own money, which is not intelligent. But unless, I guess if you have so much, it doesn't really matter. But it makes a lot of sense that Powell says there's going to be a housing correction. I've been saying this for probably six, seven months now. Everything is super overpriced. Okay. Lumber used to be $15 a stack or plywood rather used to be $15 a stack. Now it's $75 a stack. And don't quote me on that. It's just a general generality, but that like, obviously plywood is used in houses. So if that goes up, then the cost of the house is going to rise. And so I think that just over the course of the commodities rising in price due to inflation, that naturally the houses are going to rise in price. And I think it's going to be a 
correct, like a big correction. Now it's not going to be 2008, but I do think it's going to be a, a humbling correction. Um, and one of my favorite things that I see, if any of you guys know me personally, which some of you do, some of you are clients, some of you are good friends. Um, I do not like salesmen. Like I, like for the most part, the way the tactics that they use, I think it's corrupt, evil, inappropriate. And one of the tactics, a lot of real estate agents do is not all real estate agents. Okay. This is not pointed at everybody, but what they do is they use fear. And it's the same thing with a lot of financial advisors in my market. They use fear to sell you invent like things. So for example, a friend of mine who is a real estate agent, um, he is being told what to do by the top, by the top dog of his firm, but he is basically using fear and ads like, Oh, you need to sell your house now, or you need to buy your house. Now the market's never been better. Um, you know, saying things like that, just trying to put fear into people. If you don't, if you don't buy the house now, you'll never be able to buy a house because in 10 years it's going to skyrocket. Like all those things. My opinion is, is that if you are saying those, if you, if you have that like absolute feeling about things, you're most likely wrong. Nobody knows what's going to happen. I'm sick and tired of people using fear to sell because it's, it's, you're almost predicting that something's going to happen. Uh, and I don't, I do not like that. So that's why I always, I preach, preach, preach. You don't got to use me as your financial advisor, but if you get a financial advisor, get someone who's a fiduciary, get someone who is forced to do the very best interest for their clients. And you'll get, you know, you'll get a lifelong advisor in your life that you, you want forever. Uh, someone you can trust. Uh, okay. So with that said, let's look at some of the headlines here. Today's headlines. So the world bank has cut its growth forecast for China uh, as the world's second largest economy struggles with a real estate downturn and COVID-19 lockdowns. The world bank says developing economies in East Asia will grow faster than China for the first time since the 1990s. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that China has a real plan to invade Taiwan. Um, that could change everything that could change the whole world. So I don't know what's going on there. And I also know that China is where some of my favorite companies are. Um, again, I think I've said this multiple times. Like I have clients who are very conservative in nature and they hate China. I don't want to invest in China ever. Don't ever put my money in China, China companies or, or American companies that use China labor. And I am fine with that. I will obviously respect that. But personally, I just don't see, how do I say this? I don't think it's wrong if you invest in a company like, for example, Neo. right? Neo. I've been preaching about Neo for years now. Uh, they're an electric car company. I think they're better than Tesla. I think they're, they look better than Tesla. Their financials are better than Tesla. Their deliveries are better. Like everything that Neo does, I'm just a huge fan of from a business process standpoint. Their product is just better. Um, but obviously China is a immoral nation as far as most people's opinion it goes. Uh, and I don't think it's wrong to invest in that company that's in China when they're doing things that I really like and that are good for the, you know, for the world. So there are different opinions there, but I don't necessarily hold that. Now, do I want to invest in Nike who uses child labor? That's, that also is a different situation because 
If, if Nike never went to China, those children would have never had jobs in the first place. And then their family doesn't eat. And so I, I think about it. I try to think about it as much as I can on an individual basis. Like, does this company do things that I think are good? What are the pluses and minuses? And you have to do that with where you put your money. If you do that, you're going to have a, you know, you're going to have peace of mind. Okay, let's look at a couple other things. We only have three minutes here. Okay, I got to hurry. The U.S. Transportation Department proposed requiring airlines to disclose fees for baggage, ticket changes, and family seating for the first time an airfare is displayed. So that means like you buy a ticket and then every, all the fees are right there. Whereas if you've bought tickets through American or United, uh, Alaska, actually I've never flown Alaska, but I know the other two for sure. They show you... uh, Airfare, just the cost of the seats, and then like the additions, right? So uh, baggage claim, where you want to pick your seats. So I really like this. I think this is a good move uh, for them forcing the airlines to just, this is everything, right? One page, everything. Okay, let's see. U.S. lawmakers and TikTok are reportedly developing a plan under which short-form video app, under which the short-form video app would make changes to its data security without requiring its parent firm, China's ByteDance, to sell the firm. TikTok and the Biden administration have drafted a preliminary agreement to resolve national security concerns. Okay, this is a huge one. This is brings us back to the China situation. I do not like TikTok. The data or the agreement, terms and services agreement that you have to, you know, just no one reads, but they just click yes to. TikTok can basically take over your phone, all your data. They can basically do everything. And I do believe that, again, I might, hopefully I never get quote unquote canceled for this, but China, I do believe is stealing that information and using it. And I don't know what they're doing with it, but I do believe the government is doing that. So I'm not a big fan of of TikTok at all. I know it's become huge and popular, but I'm not a fan. And China owns it, right? ByteDance is the firm that owns it. Uh, so I just keep that in mind. TikTok, not a big fan. Um, potentially dangerous, but who knows? Who knows? Okay. So I got one minute left here. I want to talk to you guys about the market. So really, really quickly, there are sentiments. Some people are saying it's going to go to 3000. Some people are going to say it's going to, it's going to hover where it's at for 10 years, you know, stagflation. We're basically just going to have no movement for 10 years. I have been wrestling in my own heart and my mind what I want to tell clients and what I want to do with their money because I have a lot of a, I have a lot of my clients are aggressively invested meaning they're growth oriented and with that comes a lot of volatility. So what do I want to do as a good steward of their money? How do I want to handle it? And uh, this this is what I would want an advisor. Like so what I'm doing, not that I'm perfect or anything, but I would want an advisor who thinks like this. What is the way that I can achieve their long-term goals while keeping their current sanity during this volatile time? And there isn't really an answer, a blanket answer. Everybody has to be handled differently because some people have different risks, tolerances than others. And I would recommend, and I'm going to be speaking with my clients here in the coming weeks, that you do what's comfortable. So if you want to be 25% invested in 75% cash, that makes you safe, feel safe because you're able to, one, if it does go down, you have a buyback opportunity. And when it goes up, which it will go back up, everybody, it will, uh, you have like a great entry point and you will earn more money than if you stayed in, right? If you just rode the wave. But you never know when the right time to get back in is. You never, never know. So the 
game that that I rec- it's all a game essentially, um, even though the risks are high because it's people's life earnings. Do you play the game the whole time? You just keep playing? Or do you try to jump in when you think it's right? I don't know the right answer. It's going to be different for everybody. Currently, currently what I did, uh, I have way, like with my own money, I have a way higher risk tolerance than just about everybody just because of my age. Um, I'm 29. I'll be 30 in November. And I am, I, I sold everything I had. And then I went into slowly dollar cost averaging, which means every month I'm going to put a little bit of money back into aggressive funds. So, you know, maybe that's a growth mutual fund or that's a ETF, uh, a tech ETF. I don't, it could be anything, but I am slowly putting money back into the market and I just want, I want to participate. I, I want to play the game. That That's me. And I know that historically, if you play the game versus trying to time it, you almost virtually always make more money because you're just not smart. And I don't mean that to offend you. You're just not. You're just not smart enough to pick. Nobody is. Uh, Warren Buffett doesn't play that game. Warren Buffett stays invested for the most part and doesn't sell. So I'm following the man. I'm going to do what he does. Um, I'm going to slowly reinvest a dollar cost average over you know the next 18 months or so. And we're going to go from there. Okay, guys, I am two minutes over my time. 15 minutes of finance just became 17 minutes and 20 seconds. So with that said, as always, invest early, invest often. Please give us a follow on our Instagram at 77financialgroup and reach out at 77financialgroup.com if you're interested in becoming a client. And we look forward to talking to you guys uh, later this week. Have a good one. Bye.